Hi there, Ollie Anderson here. You're listening to Creative Status. It's a podcast about improving your life using uh, creativity as a vehicle for doing that. So that's good. Um, this episode is an interview with a guy called uh, Terry Tucker. Terry Tucker is a speaker, he's a coach, he's an author, and uh, he has a lot of very real things to say about life and moving forwards and uh, overcoming obstacles and making the most of the journey and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is quite a real conversation. Not that the other conversations we've had on this podcast haven't been real, but just com- some of the things that Terry has been through, super intense, and um, it's just really interesting to hear him be so candid and frank about his journey. So hopefully you're going to get some value out of this. Uh, otherwise, um, I'm not really going to talk that much in this introduction. I have a bad habit of just rambling, which I'm doing right now, and uh, I'm going to stop. But here's the interview. And I hope you get some stuff out of it. And if you do, that's awesome. Leave a review somewhere. Subscribe to the podcast. Send me a DM if you want. Let me know what you thought. Uh, find Terry on his Instagram or LinkedIn or somewhere. Say hi to him. And uh, enjoy this. It's uh, pretty intense in places, but it's kind of amazing as well. Oh, hi there, Terry. Thank you so much for joining me today on Creative Status. Um, a lot of the work that you do is to do with motivation and moving forward, basically, and getting where you want to be in life. That's a major theme of this podcast, so I think you're going to add a lot of value. You're going to have some amazing insights to share based on what we've already talked about uh, off mic. Before we uh, get into all that, do you feel like introducing yourself and telling people what you're hoping to get out of this today? Sure. Uh, first of all, Oli, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Um, I'll give you sort of the condensed version of me. I was born and raised in Chicago, uh, the third largest city in the United States. I'm the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I actually got a scholarship to play basketball in college, despite having three knee surgeries. Uh, When I I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to, to help people find a job. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. So I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then moved to hospital administration, and then made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And one of the jobs I did as a police officer was I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After law enforcement, I started my own school security consulting business. I coached girls high school basketball, um, became an author in 2020, but for the last 10 years have been dealing with this rare form of cancer. And right now, my, my goal, my purpose I feel in life is to 
put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can. So I'm excited to talk with you about that today. That's amazing. It sounds like you've had a very boring life. Like you haven't really done very much or (laughs) or been anywhere or experienced anything. I imagine that going through all those kind of things that you just shared, you've obviously learned a lot and that's probably informed your work um, and some of the things that you do. So your, your main area that you seem to work in um, is the motivation thing. Is that a fair assessment? It, it is. I, I, I started a blog back in 2019 and I call it motivational check. But what mm. I always say about motivation is, is it's kind of like lighting the fuse. If, if you've just got motivation, it's going to be hard to do anything. But if you yeah. have motivation coupled mm. with discipline and coupled with good habits, You can do just about anything you want in your life. The problem is, you know, a lot of times people are lacking one or two of those things and they don't understand, you know, you know, I'm trying, but why can't I be successful? Well, you don't have good habits or you're not disciplined to carry out those habits or you're just not motivated, you know, to get up in the morning and start that journey. Mm. I I found that a lot as well with uh, the work that I do with coaching and stuff. A lot of people, they've bought into this kind of cultural myth or whatever it is where they seem to think that motivation is the only thing that you need. And I think that's because motivation is kind of a passive thing, right? Like it's sometimes it gets kind of confused with inspiration, but it just kind of pops up and you decide you want to do something. But then actually, because we're human, you eventually run out of steam. And that's where the discipline comes in and the habits and all that kind of stuff. How do you, um, how do you get people to be more motivated in the first place, do you think? So if somebody's kind of you know, bored with their life or whatever it is, how do we help them to find motivation? I think motivation comes from within. It's got to be something that you have. Mm. There's a there's an entrepreneur here in the United States by the name of Ed Milet, and he talks about the four types of people. And he said the first type is the unmotivated. And he said that's mm. that's the vast majority of people, at least here in the United States. You know, maybe it sounds from your experience, maybe all over the world. And then there's the the motivated group. And that's kind of a, you know, carrot and stick kind of thing where if, if you do this, then you will get mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. then there's the inspirational type of people. And inspirational mm-hmm. comes from in spirit. So you yeah. move people with your energy. And then the last group, and this is, this is what I strive for. I, I'm not anywhere close to it yet, but I'm striving for it, is the aspirational group where mm. people aspire to be like you. So, wow. you know, if you figure the vast majority of people, and, and, and I'm old enough to kind of, I think, agree with that, that are just unmotivated. They're, they live a casual life. And as a result, mm. their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become a casualty of that unplanned living. And, mm. and you know, if, if you don't have that spark, if there isn't something that gets you up in the morning. And that's not something I can do for you. That's not something you can do, you know, for your clients. You have to want to do it. You have to have something inside of you that you yeah. feel this is my my purpose or my passion or my why. And I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, mm. but it scares you, mm. go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. 
They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. Wow. Love it. And I think uh, you're right. Like so many people in general do seem to be a a bit lost. Maybe it's uh, just the way the world's structured or something like that. But I think the majority of people, maybe I'm being a bit unfair, but a lot of people, they're just so used to just kind of being told what to do or they're, they're too fearful to do the the final stage that you just talked about, or one of the final stages of actually looking inside themselves and seeing what they truly want and what they truly value instead of what they've just been told to want and value, which causes them to be uh, not as happy as they could be in the first place. I, I think you you made an incredibly important point there. You know, we, we talk a lot about goals in our life. And, you know, at the beginning of every year, you know, people make New Year's resolutions. And mm. I, I forget what the statistic is, but it's like 80 or 90 percent of those New Year's resolutions have fallen by the wayside by February. And mm. it sort of, at least for me, begs the question, why? <laughs> and, yeah. and what I always come back to, at least in my life, is that if, if you just have goals, but those goals aren't tied to anything specific. More importantly, if they're not tied to your values, you know, so I think before you, you start saying, you know, okay, here are my goals for the year, go back and say, what are my values? You know, what am I willing to die for? What am I willing to give my life, you know, in the pursuit of with the understanding that I may never get there. But if you understand what you value in life, you can you can put your goals, you can attach your goals to those values, mm-hmm. and you you get a much better chance of reaching your goals because they're tied to something concrete in your life. Yeah, and they're, they're tied to something that you genuinely a hundred percent care about because those values are an expression of your core self, the real you, the, the soul, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of people, they like you said, they don't know what their values are in the first place, or they, they've kind of buried them beneath the surface of societal values or cultural values or external values that they've picked up somewhere along the line and confused for the things that they really would be chasing if they were more in touch with their real self. I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. And that's just it. We don't, we don't like being alone with ourselves. I I was reading a book recently called Do Hard Things by a man by the name of Steve Magnus. And he quotes a a study that was done by this professor. And it was a very simple study. He took people and he put them in a room with nothing in the room but a chair and a table. No devices, no friends, no windows, nothing. Just a bare room with a chair and a table. And Mm. on that table was a buzzer. And all he did was say, I want you to stay in this room for 15 minutes. Hmm. But if you want, you can press that buzzer. But if you press the buzzer, you're going to get a shock. Wow. And 67% of the men and 25% (laughs) of the women press that buzzer, including Hmm. one man who pressed the buzzer almost every five seconds for 15 minutes. (laughs) Wow. And you, I know you laugh at it and you say, oh my God, seriously? But yeah. if we can't be alone with ourselves for 15 minutes, yeah, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. Possibly, you know, how are we possibly going to be able to do anything in our lives if, if we can't be alone with ourselves? Yeah, that's amazing. And actually, it opens up a whole kind of worms around the deeper issues, actually. And the deeper issue in life for the majority of people is exactly what you just said. They're out of touch with themselves 
And so they're constantly seeking distraction rather than just sit alone and be present or do things that make them more present so they can be connected to themselves. So, you know, do yoga or go for a hike or sit in a room and be quiet rather than do any of those things. They, they're constantly looking around for distractions, even though the distractions may literally end up causing pain. And in, in the example you've given, that's like a, a literal a literal thing. But actually, distraction always leads to more pain because it just exacerbates the distance between you and yourself, if that makes sense. It, it totally does. And, and, and that's why I recommend to people, at least spend five minutes alone with yourself every day. No distractions, like you say, no devices, nothing. Just <laughs> and let your mind go wherever it goes. You know, there's it's not like meditation where you're trying to concentrate on one thing or anything. Just wherever it goes, it goes. And yeah, eventually yeah. you'll get to a point where you are happier with yourself. Mm. I think the problem is that in the short term, if people have been disconnected from themselves for a while, it's almost always because there's some kind of emotional um, chasm, shall we say, within them. There's a gap between how they think they feel and the identity that they've created for themselves and how they actually feel beneath the surface. And so when people are sitting alone in a room or whatever it is, eventually these feelings will start to resurface. That's what I think anyway, because you can't hide from that stuff. You can distract yourself, but if you run out of distractions, eventually that stuff's going to resurface. And I think that's one of the reasons as well why people struggle to go down this pathway you talked about at the start of motivation, discipline, and habits. It's easy to have the motivation to do things because a lot of the time, especially if we are disconnected from ourselves or out of touch with whoever it is we really are, well, we just get motivated to do things that are not necessarily goals that are aligned with our real values and all the stuff we said, but they make us feel good because they think that it's a form of escapism, basically. But actually, if you start really pushing into doing these things, doing the hard things, like you said, the name of that book was, well, then you become disciplined and you have habits, but then you have to face yourself because that's when you're going to have to come out of your comfort zone. And so I think that's why a lot of people, they like the motivation thing. It feels nice or even the inspiration thing. But when it gets down to the discipline and the habits, that's when people start to have a lot of problem. I totally agree with you. A a a absolutely. And, and that's and that's just it. You've got to do the hard work. You know, mm -hmm. you don't grow. You don't get better. You don't improve when you're safe and in your comfort zones. You only mm -hmm. do that when you push yourself outside of that. And, and part of that may, may be, you know, like you say, you sit alone in a room and mm -hmm. all these emotions and things bubble to the surface. Well, that's part of the hard work. That's part of dealing with those yeah, things yeah, so that yeah. you can get motivated, have the good habits and the discipline to implement them. Wow. That's really important. I think a lot of people think that when you set out on a, on a journey to kind of whatever purpose you've chosen for yourself, so to do some big goal or to move towards a vision, there is only really going to be a lot of the external things that you need to do. So you think of actions, you think of goals. Okay. But actually, most of the work, I think, is an internal thing. And maybe this could be a good segue into something that you shared earlier uh, before we started recording about the four truths. Um, so you have four truths, basically, that can help people, by the sound of it, to kind of start really uh, getting better results as they go down this path that we're talking about, of motivation, discipline, and habits, and getting things done, living a real life. Yeah, the, the four truths are things that I've come up with 
certainly over my 10 year battle with cancer. Mm. Uh, and, and they're just one sentence and I have them here on a posted note and in my office. And so I see them multiple times during the day and they constantly get reinforced in my brain. So I'll, I'll give them to you. And however, if you want to go into a little bit deeper with them, we can. The mm. first one is this, you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. Yeah. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life mm. and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. Mm-hmm. The third one, as I said earlier, with when you and I were talking, is more, I think, of a, as of a legacy type of truth. Mm-hmm. And it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one, I think, is pretty mm-hmm. self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And mm-hmm. I look at these four truths, and I, I call them sort of the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place I think, to start to build a quality life off of. Okay, so the first one of uh, the four truths, Terry, is this idea of controlling our minds. And in my opinion, that is one of the most important things that we do need to work on as human beings because our mind affects the quality of our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with ourselves basically affects everything in our lives as a whole, the way that we can relate to other people, how we see the world, all these different things. So in your view, you know, what are some things that we can all do to start working on this first truth of controlling our minds and, um, you know, getting better at improving our relationship with ourselves, basically? Yeah, I, I, we all become what we think. Mm. And, you know, of, of these four truths, I think that that one, that number one about controlling your mind is probably the most important yeah. because... <laughs> be incredibly careful of how we talk to ourselves. We all have sort of a self-talk where our brains are, are kind of doing their thing. Mm. But if, if you, I'll give you an example. You know, I, I mentioned I played basketball all the way through college. The, the same part of your brain lights up when you practice, actually take a ball and practice shooting baskets. It's the same part in your brain that lights up when you think about shooting those baskets. Mm-hmm. So you're making those connections, you're making those, those synapses, you know, come together. And if you keep telling yourself, for example, you know, you're, you're a student and you're taking algebra, for example, and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm bad at, I'm terrible at algebra. I'm never going to do any good. <laughs> I'm going to sports. You, that, that negative self-talk will eventually get to the point where you hardwire your brain so that you are not good at algebra. Mm-hmm. And it would be incredibly hard for you to flip that around. So be very careful how you talk to yourself. Yeah. I, I think that's the important thing. And, and I learned when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. And I remember when I went back playing basketball after those knee surgeries, my brain was putting all kinds of negative mm-hmm. thoughts into my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, things like, you're probably a step slower because of those surgeries. And college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you to play for their teams. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level Mm. and coaches are still reaching out to me Mm. about the possibility Mm. of playing for their school. So I realized kind of early on, I needed to change that narrative. I needed to say, wait a minute, that's a negative thought. And I guess this is important too. Mm. We're human beings. We're going to have negative thoughts. Mm. Don't think Mm. that, you know, if you have a negative thought that, oh my gosh, somehow I'm a bad person. 
No, it's okay. We're, we're human. It happens. But understand that that is a negative thought mm. and turn it around to something positive that you can use to your benefit as opposed to that negative thought, which is definitely not in your, in your favor. Mm. Do you think there is a trap, though, sometimes where we we can be too positive or overly positive or, or almost sort of naively optimistic? So we tell our thing, tell ourselves that things are going to work out mainly because that's what we want rather than what is possible or because we're, you know, actually doing the work and that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes overly positive thinking can be detrimental, I think. Yeah, unrealistic thinking mm. can be detrimental. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I don't know if you can be too positive. You have to be realistic. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. there's... There's probably not a chance I'm going to win, you know, a Nobel Prize in physics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not very good at physics. I don't know anything about it. But if that's a goal for you, you know, and if you're in a situation where you're trying to make that happen, mm -hmm. and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. are you willing to do the work? Yes. Are you willing to do the hard work mm -hmm. to do that? And if it is, then you need to be positive about doing that and believe you're moving forward. If, if you're just motivated, but you know you're not doing the work, mm -hmm. You can be as positive as you want. You're just being unrealistic, yeah. and you know you're, you're going to fail yeah. just simply because you're not doing the work that you need to do. Hundred percent. Like that's that's something that is so important and it's so simple. And I, I often end up explaining it to people. But if you're not taking the actions or you're not doing anything, then you, you're actually just not going to get anywhere. And I, it, it's crazy that I even have to say that, but it, because it is so simple. But a lot of people, because of the reasons we talked about, they love skipping out the discipline and the habit stage, which is ultimately about action. And then that's when they do lapse into a kind of um, naive optimism or, or whatever you want to call it. So you're right. I think, yeah, as long as you've been realistic or real and you uh, understand what you're capable of and you keep moving forward with it, then you're probably going to be okay. I agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if you're not, and, and that's okay. And and that's the thing. People somehow think, you know, I've seen this happen a lot in the United States, especially. I don't know if it's true in your country as well. But, you know, we start down a goal or we start down the path to a goal and something we want to do. And then we butt up against an impediment. Mm -hmm. Something gets in our way mm -hmm. and we can't get over it or around it or through it. And so we quit. Mm -hmm. And it's... We just don't quit here in the United States. Now we need to blame somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we need to blame our parents or our boss or our station in life. Very few people take personal responsibility yeah, yeah, yeah. for their own success and happiness. Nobody owes you anything. Nobody's coming to your rescue. <laughs> if you want something in life, figure out what that is. Use your unique gifts and talents and go go after it with everything you have in your Yeah, brain. yeah, yeah. I love it. Like I, I completely see life the same way. Like it's the day that you step up and take responsibility for your life and your feelings, especially in all the things that happen to you and you take action. It's a very liberating thing. This idea that nobody can save us but ourselves, it seems depressing at first, potentially, if you've been brought up with all this conditioning where, you know, the way you feel is more important than anything else and blah, blah, blah. But actually it's very liberating. It's very freeing. It's, it's, it gives you a lot of power. And a lot of people are scared of that power, I think, because of the emotional stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah, it, it's going back to, are you, are you doing the hard work? You know, mm -hmm. are you doing the things 
to get yourself in a position where you can succeed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you say, so many people kind of sit back and, you know, when I want to distract myself because I'm afraid Mm -hmm. that if I'm alone with myself, I'm going to have to deal with some pretty heavy things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's part of doing the hard work. And and like you say, and that's liberating when you do that work and you come out the other end Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm a better person than when I started this. In a way, it's the difference between living in the short term and living in the long term. And I think the the long-term way of living, that's when you start to be able to live for something bigger than yourself, whether it's a vision or it's your values or it's, I don't know, a drive to give something back to the world, whatever it is, that always involves thinking of yourself in the long-term and your evolution. If you're caught up in this lack of personal responsibility or victimhood or whatever we want to call it, that's when you just kind of, um, you've been broken down basically by your feelings and it's caused you to be passive and to tell yourself a story that's unreal, unrealistic, and it stops you from moving. And actually, it, it, it's not a, it's kind of a paradoxical thing to say, but being a victim is not as fun as people seem to think it might be when they're trying to justify that mindset and all that kind of stuff. True. But being a victim is very easy. It's it's hard to do the work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being yeah, a victim yeah, yeah. and not doing the work, that's yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's exactly it. But that's the paradox as well, because the whole victim thing, yeah. it sells it as though their situation is so difficult that they're not going to do the actual hard work, which is what they really actually would benefit from doing in, in most cases. This actually uh, segues quite nicely into your second truth, which is the idea of embracing the pain or the difficulty. So... I suppose the question becomes, why are, it's kind of a, maybe there's an obvious answer, but there's a deeper answer as well, maybe. Why are people so averse to, to, you know, the pain and the difficulty and the obstacles and all these things that you actually can't do anything about anyway, because they're just part of the, part of reality, part of human nature. So there's no point complaining about them. You, You just have to accept them really. But what stops people accepting them and working with them? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think the answer is ourselves. You know, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the the status quo, the way things are right now is comfortable and familiar and should just be left alone. Mm -hmm. But kind of like we were talking earlier, the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to improve, the only way you're going to get better is to step outside those comfort zones and to do things that make you uncomfortable. Mm. And I always recommend to people, and I try to do this every day of my life, do one thing every day Mm. that makes you nervous, Mm. that scares Mm. you, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit us all, you know, we lose our job, somebody close to us dies, Mm. we find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness, If you do those small things every day, when those big disasters in life hit, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those when they come. And instead of running from pain, (laughs) what I'm suggesting is just the opposite. Take that pain, flip it inside of you, burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. Yeah, I love it. The reason that it makes you stronger and it, it gives you energy is because when you go through those painful situations, you find out what's actually real about you. That's what I think anyway, right? And when you find out what's real about you, actually what happens is you let go of all the unreal nonsense and and bullshit, pardon my French, 
that you've been holding onto that's been weighing you down. And by holding onto all that stuff, the unreal stories that you tell yourself, the unreal assumptions you carry, the limiting beliefs, the fears, all these things that you hold onto, that is what weighs people down and causes them to have less energy than they actually do naturally have, I think. And so by pushing through the edge of the initial discomfort or the fear or the the brain's natural uh, instinct to run away from the pain, by pushing through that, again, like the personal responsibility thing we were talking about, it's always a very liberating thing. It's freeing. But people, it's counterintuitive. It is because, you know, our brains, and I understand why, you know, our brains don't like pain and discomfort. Well, that's a, that's a defense mechanism. Mm. That's, that's what has been built into your brain to keep you safe. You know, it'd be like, if you got up this morning and said, you know what, I'm going to go skydiving. Your, your brain would be like, oh, wait a minute, you know, the plane might crash or your parachute may not open or, you know, there's your brain starts putting all this negative garbage in there. Yeah. And if you really want to go skydiving, you have to find a way to overcome that. Yeah, and say, yeah. yeah that all might happen, but I think I'm safe and I, I, I trained and I'm going to be with people who know what they're doing. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And I know that's kind of a, an oversimplified mm-hmm. example. But that same thing happens every day with these little things that pop up in our lives. It's like, ooh, wait a minute, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not, I'm not, oh, maybe I'm not good enough at that, or maybe I don't have enough knowledge, or what are people going to say about me if I fail? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, who cares what people say about you? So many people live other people's lives. We try to live vicariously through other people. Mm-hmm. You're not on the same journey as that person. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same gifts and talents as that person. Mm-hmm. Let them live their journey, mm-hmm. be happy for them, encourage them, but live mm-hmm. your own life and stop comparing yourselves to other people mm-hmm. because all that's going to do is drive you nuts. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like the, uh, again, all these uh, four truths are obviously linked out there because they're all just talking about the human experience and what it is to be to be real, basically. Do you think, like this is a personal question, but obviously you've suffered, um, or maybe suffered is not, not the right word, but you've experienced um, illness quite a few times, like you said. Did you learn a lot about reality from going through those experiences? So the reason I'm asking this question is in my own life, I had some health issues that were really serious and they taught me a lot of these truths as well because they showed me that reality is just a certain way, actually, there's nothing you can do about it. And the way is ultimately that we're all going to be dead one day. And before we do die, there's going to be loads of problems and obstacles and challenges and all these things that we can either set ourselves up uh, to feel friction towards because of our expectations or the assumption that reality should be something different. Or we can work to accept ourselves on a much deeper level and use all these challenges and obstacles that arise to accept ourselves and to accept life even more. And when you get to that place of acceptance, that's when things actually start to click and you've got all this energy we were talking about and you feel amazing and things work out. But you can only get to that place by either really training yourself to face reality no matter what, which is difficult if you don't have something bad happen to you, or something bad, scare quotes, happens to you and it wakes you up. But do you feel like you know, when you, when you had cancer and all that stuff that taught you that a lot of the things you previously thought were maybe not true, or it showed you how life really works and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think we all have a breaking point, you know, mm-hmm. a point where mm-hmm. I just can't go on. Yeah, yeah. But my experience, and, and again, I can only speak for myself, my experience is that that breaking point is so much further down the road than we ever gave than we ever give ourselves yeah, yeah, yeah. credit yeah, for. Yeah. We, we quit. We give up. It's like, oh, that hurts. I don't want to do that anymore. You know what? Take that pain. Again, flip it inside. Burn it as fuel. <laughs> Use that pain to, to push you forward, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to make you a better individual. So yeah, wow. I, I really think that the I've got a friend of mine who's a, a former Navy SEAL. Uh, branch of the military here in the yeah, United yeah, States, yeah. some of the toughest men. And the SEALs talk about what they call their 40% rule, which is basically, if you're at the end of your rope, if you can't go on, if you think you're done, mm-hmm. you're only at 40% of your maximum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you still have another 60% left in reserve to give to yourself. So whenever I feel bad, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I don't want your audience to think that you know, I've got a big S on my chest and I fly around with a cape with magical power. You know, I don't. I have bad days. I'm, I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. I cry. I get down when I when I have to go to treatments and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I always remember that I have so much more left to give to myself mm-hmm. when I get into those uh, kind of down places. Well, I suppose um, what you've said kind of resonates with me as well, like the, the illness thing. So in my, I had uh, I've got kidney failure, so I'm on dialysis. But like, I've just been through so many crazy things because of that. And actually, I've realized that the 40% thing, like I never thought of it in, in those terms, but I, the 40% thing is so true because actually you can take so much more than your fear allows you to think that you can take in the first place. Like when you push through that edge, you can always go deeper and we're all a lot stronger than we, we think and actually, by challenging ourselves in this way, our strength always comes out. It's like you've always got the strength. It almost always, unless you die, there's always something there that you can do. That's that's how it seems to me now. And I think it, 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 going through this or something like this, it kind of, the end result is is kind of a peaceful feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like eventually you get, yeah. you get to a place where your tolerance of just day-to-day pain or strife or drama or whatever it is, the tolerance because of the other stuff is is very high. Like it just doesn't bother you. It doesn't phase you because you've got perspective. I think that's ultimately what it's about, right? Eventually you get to a point where your perspective shows you that, you know, pain is, is basically relative. And so you can keep going or you can keep pushing through. And so by conditioning yourself, whether you've got an illness or you're just a, you know, a normal person, whatever. Well, by conditioning yourself, you can actually train yourself to be able to take more and more. And probably that 40%, the tank gets more and more full, something like that. I I totally agree. And and I I think pain and discomfort, they reveal Mm. things to us. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, there's there's just a, a point where I, I one of the things cancer taught me is I don't really think you know yourself yeah. until you've been tested by some form of adversity yeah 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 hundred and yeah so you you have to you have to go through adversity to to bring out all the all the things in your life and I've always believed that everything you need to be successful in your life however you define success is already inside yeah. you you know yeah. you just need to find it. 
pull it out and use it to your benefit. But we're always looking externally for some, you know, I'm going to read this self-help book or I'm going to, you know, listen to this podcast or I'm going to do this and and, and I'm going to get something that I don't have. Yeah. You've already got yeah. it. It's yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you just need to find it and use it to your advantage. Yeah. And that, that's why, like, actually sometimes like illnesses or adversity or whatever it, it ends up showing up as is a blessing. And it's a blessing because it shows you the real version of you, like you were saying. And actually, I think yeah. this goes back to the thing we were saying about embracing the difficulty. The reason it's so difficult sometimes, especially at the start of these journeys, is because we don't know ourselves. And so actually, we're holding, as the, the trials and tribulations and the difficulties test us, what they actually do is show us that our identity is not what we thought it was. And if you can let go of your ideas about yourself and take the lesson and flow with it and evolve and to, to grow into the next version of yourself, it's a lot easier. But a lot of people, they resist the lesson because actually they want to cling to the idea of themselves that they have at the start of that journey. But that just makes it a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Does, do you see what I'm saying? I, I totally do. I, I told you, let, let me read you something real quick that, that I find amazing. And, and this is something that I think we, if you think about it, it's very simple, but it, it's just a quick paragraph. And here it is. Mm -hmm. In order for you to be born, you needed two parents, four grandparents, eight grand, great grandparents, 16 great, great grandparents, 32 third great grandparents, 64 fourth great grandparents, 128 fifth great grandparents, 256 sixth great grandparents, 512 seventh great grandparents, 1,024 eighth great grandparents, and 2,048 ninth great grandparents. For you to be born from 12 previous generations, you needed a total of 4,094 ancestors over the past 400 years. Think for a moment how many struggles how many battles, yeah, 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 how yeah. many difficulties, yeah. how much sadness, how much happiness, how much love stories, how many expectations of hope for the future yeah. well, did your ancestors have to undergo for you to exist in this yeah. world today? Wow. Yeah. I love I love that so much. And I've, I've thought about something similar before, which is all of our, the, the fact that we're here means somebody has worked their ass off, basically. Like our, yeah. our lives in the modern world are a, a bit too easy, maybe. Like if you think about all the, I don't know, the saber-toothed tigers or whatever it is that people have had to battle just to survive, that's a slightly hyperbolic example. But the struggle is what's allowed us to be here. And I've never thought about it in, you know, such a, a vast number that you, you've just put out, but it's actually amazing to think about. But that that's, that's the natural state of being, isn't it? The, it is. Yeah. Like the world we've, do you think the world we've created now or the world we live in is, you know, it's making us struggle, but by causing us not, not by making us too comfortable. So we struggle because we're too comfortable, if that makes sense. And the struggle is, yeah. it's not real. We're too soft. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I absolutely believe that. We, we have all these conveniences and so we get soft and, and soft times create soft people, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just like hard times create hard men, yeah, yeah, yeah. hard people. I, I was, I was going to say that as, as well, actually, there's the, there's the thing, it's, it's like a meme. So you just said it, yeah, like hard times create soft men or whatever it is. 
so I can't remember how it goes, but yeah, the point is that every generation basically feeds off the next one. And if it's too easy, then it'll be hard next time around. And if it's too hard, then, you know, you create a world that's good, but then you end up creating kind of softer people. So what, what do we do about that? That's the question. Maybe this feeds into your third truth, which is about what you leave behind. So in a way that uh, the meme that I'm referring to, which I can't remember verbatim, kind of is talking about that, isn't it? It's talking about our responsibility from one generation to the next to create a world that is, I suppose, aligned with reality, or at the very least, is going to create something that allows you know the next generations to thrive, or whatever it is. What 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 do you mean by that, Law? I suppose that's the question. Absolutely. You know, I still have friends who read the obituary, you know, paper or the obituary section in the newspaper or online for two reasons: one, to keep themselves humble, mm. and two, to help them realize, like you were talking about a minute ago, that we're all going to die. You know, when I found out I had these tumors in my lungs and I was going to have my leg amputated, I went with my wife to the mortuary and to the cemetery and to the church and I planned my funeral. And because I go on podcasts and talk about, you know, motivation or or I I give speeches or, or people have read my book, I got some brushback from some folks that were like, you know, planning your funeral. Don't you think that's kind of defeatist? And I kind of laughed and, you know, looked at it and was like, well, the last time I checked, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. <laughs> every one of us is going to die, yep. but not every one of us is really going to live. Yeah, yeah. And I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I absolutely love. And it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Mm-hmm. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm not looking to hasten my demise in any way, but death is not nearly as scary for me because I believe I have lived the purposes for which I was put on this world to do. And, you know, part of that is passing on what I've learned to my daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, my Mm -hmm. wife and I have one child, a daughter, and it's like, you know what? Yeah, you're going to go through hard times. Deal with Mm -hmm. it. Suck it up. Learn something from it. Not just, oh, honey, I'll take care of you. You you don't learn again when you're in those comfort zones. You learn from the difficulties and the struggles you have in life. Like the the death thing is really important, I think, for actually making all of this stuff work. So something I'm always going on about is, you know, people will disagree about just about anything these days, especially. But death is something that we can all at least agree agree i'm sure somebody out there will disagree but 99.9 percent of people will agree that death is a thing that happens and so you can take that as a starting point for how to actually live a good life and if death is inevitable well it just opens up so many different things that you need to embrace in order to live a good life so the first thing is that if if death is coming that means everything is changing and so if everything is changing well okay that means the static illusions and interpretations that your mind shows you of life are not true and so you can you know improve your relationship with your mind in the way that we said if death is coming and everything keeps moving that means you are going to have all these difficulties and there's going to be things that you have to learn to accept and blah 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 and so the death thing is you know is, is vital like maybe that's an ironic word to use but it's vital in the sense that if you don't embrace death 
then you will never, ever be able to live a real life, even if it's just because you won't appreciate your own time. Do you think that's something that's um, inspired you to be more motivated? The fact that, you know, death is coming, you've been planning your funeral, memento mori, all this stuff. But the psychological consequence of that probably for you is that you're just aware of the value of your time, maybe. I mean, that, I'm speaking of my own experience, to be honest, but that's how I, you know, assume it might be for you. I agree. And, and people don't don't like to talk about it because it's it's unknown. But it, it's it's the most fair thing in the world because we all get it once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we all get death once. That's it. Boom. You're gone. And we are here for such a short period of time. Mm. I mean, mm. even people that live to be 100 years, 100 years is nothing. Yeah, nothing. You know, I mean, I just I read you that thing about what it, you know, the, the number of people that needed to do the right thing to, you know, to go the right way in order for you to be here. And that was over 400 years. There were 4,000, almost 4,100 people that needed to do the right thing at the right time in order for you to be here. And that was only 400 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we're here for such a short period of time and it's over. And life just keeps moving forward. It's not like, you know, oh, Terry Tucker, nobody's going to name, you know, a building after me or a street (laughs) or put up a statue. Nobody's going to remember I was here except the people that I touched. And I, you know, we all get caught up in, you know, I got to make money. I got to have power. I got to have influence. I got to have the nice car. I got to live in the nice house. Mm -hmm. At the end of your life, the only thing that goes with you is the same thing that you brought into this world. And that's the love in your heart. Mm -hmm. So I had a nurse recently ask me what it was like to have my foot amputated and my leg amputated. And this is what I told her. I said, you know what? Cancer can take all my physical faculties. Mm -hmm. The cancer can't touch my mind, mm-hmm. it can't touch my heart, mm-hmm. and it can't touch my soul. Mm-hmm. And that's who I am. That's mm-hmm. who you are, Ole. That's who everybody who's listening to us is. And we spend so much time on dealing with our physical body. Am I wearing the right thing? Is my hair look good? Does my beard good? I, I mean, <laughs> spend more time working on the things that you really yeah, are. Yeah, your yeah. Heart, your mind. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it all boils down to in my view. Like, the stuff that's real about us and the stuff that's unreal, basically. And... These kind of things that we're talking about, you know, facing challenges and going through trials and tribulations and yada, yada, all that stuff is just showing you what's, what's real. And the real stuff, like you've also said, it never goes anywhere because what's real is always real. And all of these material things or these physical things or whatever it is that we spend our whole lives chasing, that are just superficial and empty and meaningless are not real. And so most people are running around, like we said, because they're conditioning just chasing things that aren't real. And actually, by opening up to death and all these things, you're going to be able to make choices that allow you to do stuff that is more real. So just back to your third truth about, you know, what you leave behind is uh, what basically what you leave in the hearts of other people. How do we, um, you know, use the time that we do have before we all drop dead to kind of embody that truth? I think we need to share our lives with people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I, when I was young, I was, I was a kind of a quote unquote disciple of a basketball coach here in the United States by the name of John Wooden, probably one of the, one of the greatest college basketball coaches. And I remember he was being interviewed by a reporter at one point in time. And, you know, I was sitting there listening to this and I was a kid, you know, I had a pad of paper and a pencil. I'm like, okay, come on, coach, give me some good X's and O's that I can use, you know, to get better at basketball. And the reporter asked him, 
you know, what's the most important thing that you want your players to learn and understand? And I was like, okay, come on, coach, give me some good X's and O's. And he said, the most important thing I want people to understand is love. Mm. And I was like, no, no, come on, give me something good. (laughs) But really he wanted his players and the people around him to understand the importance of love, Mm. love for what you do, love for yourself, love for your fellow man. And I think in one word, that is really, you know, and especially guys, guys, you know, we don't talk about love. That's not something we deal with, you know, but it's so important in our lives. If we love each other, which means, you know, we care about each other. We support each other. We want the best for each other instead of, you know, this, what we talked about earlier, Mm. you know what, Hey, you got more money than I do, or you drive a nicer car, you know, so I'm now comparing my life to you Mm. and thinking that, you know, I want what you have. No, you're on your own journey. I'm on my journey. Mm. Be happy for me in my journey. Help me along the way if you possibly can. But don't be an impediment. Don't put something in my way. Mm. Don't be a roadblock for me to get to where I want to be in life. So I would say the most important thing that we do for each other in our lives mm. is to love each yeah. other. You're right. Like a, a lot of guys, especially, don't like talking about that. But it, it, it is love and death are two of the most controversial topics. But they're the most real topics. Or maybe not controversial. They're the most avoided topics at a real level. Like we're all going to die. And actually, if we're all going to die, it means we're all precious because we're not going to be around forever. And so actually, love is just appreciating that, I think. It's about appreciating how valuable every single person is and how valuable their lives are and how, you know, if we can get out of our heads and we stop judging ourselves and then judging each other and we stop judging life for, for what it is and how it works, then we can just allow people to do what they need to do, basically, and they can have freedom. Because love, I think, is just acceptance. And when you get when people give you acceptance, you get the freedom that comes with it. And if you can treat people like that, which is personally, it's a work in progress. Like I'm not like I'm not saying I'm like a, you know, I'm the, the Messiah or something. Like I, I want to live like that most of the time. Like obviously, life creeps in or whatever it is. But if we can live like that, I think then we at least increase the odds of being remembered for a little bit longer than when we've just drop dead initially. Yeah. And, and, but again, I mean, you think about all the people, you know, again, what I, what I read earlier, there's, there's 4,100 people, mm-hmm. 99.9% of those people, you, you, you have no, no idea. Who no they idea. You probably have no idea who your eighth great, great <laughs> parents were, no. you know, no idea whatsoever, but they are, they set the table mm-hmm. for lack of a better word for wow, you. I like that. You know, they, they, they had expectations, they had goals, they worked hard, they did what they needed to mm-hmm. do. And probably in some really difficult times mm-hmm. that we don't, I mean, we think we got it tough now. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine having to, you know, kill your dinner every night? And yeah, things yeah, yeah. Like that? It's, it's crazy what people you know, have been. Yeah, exactly. But they got that, they did that, mm-hmm. and now you're here. Yep. And, and I always say, you know what, it's my responsibility to set the table for the next generation, wow. for my daughter's generation, wow. you know, and, and to leave that, I hope I leave this world in a better place than when I came into it. I can't change the world, but I can change my little corner mm. of it. I love that uh, little phrase you just concocted about setting the table. I think that should be a thing. But um, how do we uh, bring this all around with the, the final truth, which is about not quitting? So we kind of talked about it a little bit at the start when we were talking about the motivation and discipline habits thing. But how do we get 
to that place where we can be tenacious and not quit unless we, you know, we decide it's the, the real thing to do for whatever reason. But how do we get to that place where we can keep going, we don't quit, but we're not so outcome dependent that we drive ourselves crazy trying to get certain results, if, if, if that makes sense. It, it, it does. And, and I think it goes back to kind of what we were talking about, you know, what's your motivation? What discipline do you have? And what are the habits that you're forming in your life? And the way I look at that quote about, you know, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at it personally and say, you know, someday my cancer, my cancer journey, my pain is going to end. You know, it may end through surgery. It may end through some type of new medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. Mm-hmm. But if I quit, mm-hmm. if I give up, if I give in to pain, mm-hmm. then pain will always be a part of my mm-hmm. life. So again, I think it comes kind of full circle. Mm-hmm. You need to do the hard things. You need to face the things in your life that scare you, that make you uncomfortable, that are things that you're trying to distract yourself from. And if you do that, you're facing up to that pain. Mm-hmm. And once you can conquer your pain, you can move forward no matter what happens to wow. you. Like this, something actually um, kind of comforting in knowing that we are going to die one day. I know that I said that already, but like, actually, if you think about it, the, the extreme, the most extreme way of quitting is to kill yourself, right? Is to commit suicide. And so if things get so bad that you do that, then obviously you're in a lot of pain and, and you know, that's just awful. But actually knowing that you're going to die one day anyway, can kind of release you from that. Because like you've said, you know, things do keep changing. It might be really hard now, but, you know, you're going to die one day anyway. So you might as well find out, just stick around and find out what's going to happen. And it's this, you know, that I'm giving a very extreme example, but even if you're just, you know, you're working on your business or you've got a creative goal or I don't know, you're writing a book or whatever it is, you're trying to learn a yoga pose or something, you just keep trying, like find out. I think that's a really good philosophy or a good approach this kind of experimental way of doing it. Just find out. It's about letting go of the control. Do do you think that makes sense? It totally does. Absolutely. You, and and this is definitely something I've learned through cancer. I used to be, you know, I was the type A personality that I needed to always be in control. Mm -hmm. And cancer has taught me I am totally not in control. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when when I I found out, you know, I, I was having my leg amputated and I had these tumors in my lungs, about six months ago, my oncologist showed me the CAT scan of my lungs, and and I have no medical background. I don't know, you know, what what should be there and, and not. But I I had fluid all around the pleural spaces of my lungs. I had these big tumors in my lungs, and I looked at my oncologist and I said, "How was I alive?" Wow. And he kind of got this smile on his face and sort of shook his head, and he's like, <laughs> "I don't know." Wow. You know, yeah. which said to me that. And I have a very strong faith that that God's not done with me yet. Mm-hmm. You know, when I die, where I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about dying. I spend more time worrying about living yeah. and what I can put back into this world. Well, I think that re- that re- that final sentence that you just said really kind of, you know, it, it sums everything up, right? Like it hits the nail on the head. That's what it's about. Just living. I know, I know that's, it's almost too simple again, but it, it comes down to having that mindset that lets you really commit to life. Basically, that's what you're doing. 
you're committing to life because of the lessons you've learned. These four truths can help anyone do it. Have you got any um, final words to sum all this up? Um, we've been talking quite a while. I didn't realize how quickly the time had gone. I never do. I should probably pay more attention. But anyway, have you got any final words to uh, to sum this up? And can you... I will... Uh... Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm uh, I was just going to say, and can you tell people where they can find you as well? If they want to get in touch or read your writing or any of that stuff. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll start with the last part first. I, I have a, a blog that I put up a thought for the day every day. Wow. It's called Motivational Check. Yep. Uh, on Motivational Check, there are recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. You can leave me a message and things like that. But motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. My book, Sustainable Excellence, you can get pretty much anywhere you can get a book online. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks, wherever you you can get it. You can also get it at motivationalcheck.com. But let me leave you with this story. Uh, here in the United States, I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. Uh, you know, it's sort of the Cowboys and Indians thing. Yeah. And 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You may yeah, have yeah, seen it. It's, it's one of my favorite films. I was, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, huge blockbuster. It starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John yeah, yeah. Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not just made up characters for the movie. Now, Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade. But pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp, his entire adult life, had been some form of a lawman. And somehow these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds formed this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc Holliday is dying of tuberculosis at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from where I live. The real Doc Holliday died at that, at that sanitarium and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time. And in this almost last scene in the movie, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all that I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of nonchalantly says, I just want to lead a normal life. Mm -hmm. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. Wow. And get on with living yours. Ola, you and I probably know people that are sitting out there, maybe listening to us that are like, well, you know what? When this happens, I'll have a normal life. <laughs> or when that occurs, I'll have a successful life. Or when this arises, I'll have a significant mm -hmm. life. What I'd like to leave your audience with is this. Don't wait. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reasons you were put on the face of this earth, use your unique gifts and talents and live that reason. Mm -hmm. Because if you do at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Mm -hmm. Terry, that was uh, beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing all this stuff. Um, well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking with you.